You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. When Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 66. Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 22. Beloved, he that would love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do right. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is right? But even if you do suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts reverence Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence, and keep your conscience clear, so that when you are abused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing right, if that should be God's will, than for doing wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. I'd like to begin our discussion today uh, with verse 15, which I'll read again. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Father, how should we prepare ourselves for this defense, as Peter puts it, for the hope that is within us? Yes, very important question, and it's one where I think in modern times we're sort of missing the mark. Interesting. How is it that we're missing the mark here? Well, I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast how we have a tendency today to view things from an intellectual perspective. And I think that's what's happened with the idea of being able to offer a defense for our hope. And why do you say that, Father? In my experience today, many Christians understand this offering a defense of the faith as being able to intellectually defend their reason for having faith. Oftentimes, it's even used as an intra-faith battle, meaning that this idea of offering a defense is used by fellow Christians to argue about which branch or denomination of Christianity is the most correct or the best. And there are a lot of people who place an emphasis on every single Christian believer being able to explain their choice of why they attend this church versus that church, and, and I think that's just missing the point. Not every Christian is an intellectual. There are some pious, godly people who aren't good at arguing, even if they are right. So I think we can really overemphasize that intellectual approach. And now, obviously, I'm not saying we should be irrational or anti-intellectual, but I'm saying that to view the gospel or the faith as primarily intellectual is a mistake. So what would you say is a better approach then, uh, a better way to understand how we give a defense of our faith? I would say that we really need to defend our faith here on earth exactly the way we will need to defend ourselves at the great judgment seat. 
So specifically, we defend the faith by living the faith, by putting the faith into action. We defend the faith when people can look at us and see a difference in the way that we behave. You know, people shouldn't be able to look at Christians and, and say that the main difference is that, well, these people wake up a little earlier on Sundays so they can go to church. People should be able to see a difference in the way that we behave and interact in our daily lives. And that's why St. Peter follows up that phrase about offering a defense with terminology that all relates to the way we live. He talks about our good behavior and then talks about doing right versus doing wrong. Again, it's about what we do how we behave, not that we necessarily always have the perfect words to say or memorize some special formula or a few verses. And of course, for those of us who are Orthodox, uh, not this Sunday, but two Sundays after that, we'll hear about how we'll be judged at the judgment seat as we Orthodox commemorate what we call Judgment Sunday with the reading from Matthew 25, where Christ separates the sheep from the goats. And in that reading, we hear exactly what our defense will need to be, whether we cared for the outcast, the stigmatized, the poor and needy, those who are frail, and so forth. And that's how we best give a defense for our faith in this world. It's not so much through our words or intellectual argumentation, but through the way of life. That's ultimately what convinces people of the way of Christ. Thank you for that clarification, Father. Now, in this passage from St. Peter, we also heard him say that our defense should be with gentleness and reverence. What does that mean? Yeah, well, I guess I'd answer that by saying that perhaps you've heard the term Bible beater. Uh, it's a term used to say that certain people beat you over the head with the Bible, meaning they're very forceful and try to push the faith on others. And so I would say that St. Peter is saying, don't be a Bible beater. You know, it's fine for us to share the faith. In fact, of course, we should. But we should not force it onto people. We can introduce our faith to people, but if they aren't showing interest or engaging in the conversation or asking follow-up questions, then we leave it alone. We don't beat people over the head with our beliefs. And really, I'll, I'll tell you a story about when I went to Mount Athos. I, I was on one of the ferries, and I noticed this elderly, quiet monk. He was keeping to himself, but not on purpose. And I could just sense the gentleness of his soul. It was really uh, like godliness was just overflowing from his presence. And we have to be careful. Some Orthodox idolize monastics as though every monastic is holy, but that, that's not the case. Uh, just like you know, so someone like me, some people think every clergyman is holy. That's not at all. So I'm not saying what I'm about to say from that perspective, but truly I could just sense the holiness of this man through his gentleness. And I went to see if he could speak English because I'm not fluent in Greek, and, and he couldn't. But it was like somehow we communicated spiritually, and I just sat there on the seat next to him for a while, and there was just a gentle, small smile on his face. And, and that's what I think about here with St. Peter's passage and the gentleness. Uh, one of the saints, I forget which one now, said when a dignitary came to visit him, he was asked to give a word, to say something to him, and he said, if you're not edified by my presence, neither will you be edified by my words. So if we're truly living how God wants us to live, if we have a gentle spirit, if we listen to people rather than uh, do all the talking and beating them over the heads with our beliefs, if we take care of those in need, then people begin to sense that even by our mere presence, they can sense the holiness. And that comes back to what I said about how we best defend our faith, by living it in a spirit of gentleness and reverence, not only for God, but for our fellow human beings made in his image. 
I appreciate that explanation, Father, and especially that uh, example of the monk from Mount Athos. Now, changing gears a little bit for my final question today, would you uh, unpack verse 21 for us? And I'll uh, read it again here. It says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Yeah, I think what St. Peter is doing here is, is showing how the water in baptism is symbolic of what is happening at that service. Normally, you put someone in a big pool of water, it's to bathe their skin, to bathe their body. But in the case of baptism, obviously that's not what we're doing. They're being baptized to be cleansed spiritually. As St. Paul says in Romans 6, which is the passage read at the Orthodox baptism service, we're buried with Christ in baptism that we may be raised to walk in newness of life. Again, that we would be spiritually cleansed so that we would walk in God's way. And we hear Jesus in the Gospel of John talk about baptism as being born anew or being born again, as it's often translated. And this idea of being born anew uh, is also what Peter is referring to when he talks about how baptism refers back to Noah and the ark, because we remember in that situation how God created anew. He wiped out all but the eight people, Noah and his family, and he started from scratch. And that's what happens to us in baptism. So the water of baptism, the water that would normally clean our bodies, is used symbolically for the service that is for the cleansing of our inner soul, of our conscience. And as we say, following Christ's teaching, baptism is for the remission of sins. So when we're washed spiritually in the font of baptism, we rise up as a new creation, born anew, free from slavery to sin, free to walk in the newness of life that only Christ and his way can give us. And that's one of the reasons that I consistently counsel people in confession and even in some sermons to recognize that guilt impedes us from doing God's will. And Peter here mentions how we need this appeal to God for a clear conscience, how we need to be cleansed for this clear conscience. And the reason for that is that a clear conscience frees us. It frees us to go out and to do God's will, not because we're doing it out of guilt, which ultimately cripples us, but we're doing it because we're so thankful, so gracious for what God has given us that we want to offer to others that same grace that he first gave us. Thank you, Father. Today's episode began with a discussion around a commonly quoted verse from 1 Peter in which we hear that we are to prepare ourselves to provide a defense of our faith. Father Aaron pointed out that in our modern times, this verse is typically viewed only from an intellectual perspective. And as we've discussed in the past, to view scripture or our faith as purely intellectual is a mistake. How then should we best defend our faith? By living the faith and putting it into practice. This living out of our faith is then aligned with how we will provide a good defense before the judgment seat of Christ. And in living out our lives in faith, by putting Christ's teaching into action, we will have the opportunity to share our faith with others. But we must remember that we should never force our faith on anyone. And if we live according to God's will, if we listen more than we speak, if we take care of those in need and do all these things with a gentle spirit, we will make a far more effective defense of our faith than by simply trying to convince someone through our words. Here we would be wise to remember these words from one of the saints of our church who said, If you are not edified by my presence, neither will you be edified by my words.
Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to thee.